There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg Kraminski and Colin Andrews. Greg, good to have you back. Nice to be back, of course. You took a week off last week. I did. Because last week we had Eric Ristabin, Chief Investment Strategist from Russell Investments, who spent an hour with us talking about all things to look forward to in 2022. And we covered things like inflation, interest rates, currency, global stock markets, and others. So this episode was actually an audio recording of a webinar we did a few weeks ago. So if you want to watch the webinar, it's available for distribution. So let us know and we can send you a link. I thought it was a pretty good webinar. It was great. Eric's an entertaining guy. He knows so much so he can just talk knowledgeably about almost anything you ask him. Like when he told us about how the economy and the markets are like two drunk guys walking up a hill tied together by a rope. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But here we are, November of 2021, just a few days removed from Halloween and well, of course, the end of October, October 31st. And Greg, that's an important day in our world. That's right. In the banking and finance industry, the end of October is the end of our fiscal year. And so what it means is that we partied like it was 1999. Right on. on. November 1st, kind of like our own version of New Year's Day. Well, I guess we didn't really party, but we certainly are thankful for the results of the past year in markets. And here we are in October, or at the end of October, a few days removed from Halloween, as I said. And it got us thinking about Scary Markets and Scary Times. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Mark Twain famously quoted, and I read, October, this is one of the peculiarly dangerous months to speculate in stocks. The others are July, January, September, April, November, May, March, June, December, August, and February. So Greg, (laughs) let's look at some spooky and scary things that have happened in the month of October in the past. And before we get into that, I just want to talk about the October effect, because the October effect is a perceived market anomaly that stocks tend to decline during the month of October. I don't think that happened this October, but we'll get into that. That's right. The October effect is more of a psychological expectation than an actual phenomena, as most statistics go against the theory. Some investors may be nervous during October because some large historical market crashes have occurred during this month. Maybe you can start us off with some examples. Well, well, for sure. Yeah. Because as you say, I think when you look at the facts, the facts are that October is not typically on average the worst month of the year, but there absolutely have been some incredible volatility that we've seen in certain Octobers. Let's start with kind of a big one. And here we're talking about the stock market crash on October 24th, 1929. It's a while ago. So that's a while ago. And of course, people will recognize that as kind of like the beginning of the Great Depression. I think that was Black Tuesday. And there was also a Black Thursday in 1932. But overall, from top to bottom, the markets declined about 89% from top to bottom. And actually, it took until 1954 to regain the highs of 1929. 
So it's important to remember, though, that that crash that happened or began in October of 1929 came after a five-year period where the stock market rose 400% leading up to 1929. So a very remarkable rise in the stocks, followed by an incredible drop. But it was so long ago. Do we actually care about it? I mean, I know it's statistically important and stuff, but... Yeah. It just highlights that markets can go through incredible volatility. Going back to one which I was at least alive for, didn't have much money in those days, but Black Monday, October 19th, 1987. So that was a big day because the Dow dropped 23% in a single day. And that was pretty shocking for people that actually had money in the stock markets. In those days, that was precipitated by what people believe was program-driven sell orders. So lots of program trading that kicked in when the market dropped a certain amount and then the orders piled on. Also important to remember that when you look at the five years leading up to Black Monday, 1987, the market had tripled in value. So once again, you're getting a fairly significant drop after a long period of rising stock prices. I know Black Monday happened. I was in grade nine, Greg, in <laughs> during Black Monday. Well, so. I had graduated high school, I'll tell you that. But It's one of those things, though, that when you don't have skin in the game, when you don't have money invested, you don't tend to pay as much attention to it. Now, I was working at the time, and it was all in the news, of course, but again, it didn't affect me personally all that much. But again, interestingly, the 1987 Black Monday stocks dropped 23% in a single day. But if you had been invested at the beginning of 1987 and were still invested at the end of 1987, you'd still be up about 6% on the year. Not bad. Which is a pretty good year, and it just talks to the importance and the value of being fully being invested. That sounds like 2020. That's right. 35% decline in the market in two weeks and finish the year positive. That's right. And since I've been in the business for a very long time now, since the mid-90s, October has proven to be a problematic month from time to time. So early in my career, the Asian currency crisis unfolded beginning in July of 1997, but really kicked into high gear in October, November. And I think the international stock markets bottomed out late October, early November of that year. And during that time, the US market actually was doing just fine. So international diversification didn't work well that year, but it works well in most years. And then looking more recently in 2018, so we're talking just three years ago, the market actually lost 6.9% in October which at the time represented about $2 trillion in market capitalization. What caused the market to sell off back in 2018? Not a lot of people actually remember because it just seemed like a blip. But back then, interest rates were rising, the US dollar was strong, and there was a trade war with China that was going on. And all of those kind of conspired to cause the market to sell off. And ultimately, it did sell off 20% from top to bottom in 2018. There's some nasty Octobers. You missed one in October. And it goes back much further than the Great Depression. It was tulip mania. Oh. I know that neither of us are around for that one. Well, let's see. It was in the, six, I think it was the 1600s or something? Yeah, 1600s, so, somewhere yeah, okay. 1650 or something yeah. like that. All right. I missed that one. So I know that many will say that the length of time since this means that it's somewhat irrelevant, but maybe not. What's the difference between meme stocks and tulips? I mean, aren't they both basically worthless and driven on hype and speculation on steroids? I mean... Tulip Mania also came to a crash in October, which is interesting. Interesting, yeah. So there's many other examples of bad things happening in October. And while October can be a volatile month, as we've seen from your examples, the average returns tend to be better in October 
than in many other months. I mean, even just recently, September comes to mind. I think in the Traders Element Act, September is one of the worst months for stocks. And because of the results of September, we saw things in the press, in the media, talk about volatility in October that we would expect. As always. But how did the markets do this October? Well, the S&P 500, which lots of people talk about the market as the S&P 500. It's just an easier way of saying it. Yes. It was up 3% in October. And year to date, it's up about 22% from January. That's pretty decent. That's pretty pretty right on, I, I, I would call say. It, I call that a return. Yeah. And in the last 12 months, it's actually up over 30%. Yet, we have publications like Forbes magazine at the beginning of October. They wrote... October stock market outlook. Is the S&P 500 ripe for a correction? Did it? I guess not. No, I think they missed it. But another one from Fortune magazine that was printed the first week of October. After a rough September, investors can expect one thing for October, volatility. No, I don't think that happened. Well, not unless they meant on the upside. And Market Watch wrote the first week of October, stock market's volatile. October history means it's time to steady yourself for a black swan event. And what's a black swan? Interesting that you would ask that. I looked it up on Investopedia just to get the correct definition. And they say a black swan is an unpredictable event that is beyond what is normally expected of a situation and has potentially severe consequences. I mean, it sounds like COVID. It does, yeah. Right? Could I guess a, that would have been a black swan. Yeah. But remember, there was all kinds of things that have happened. And I know this is in October, but I want to bring up another one that was it's kind of timely. Back in 2012... We heard things about the end of the Mayan calendar. Do you remember that? I do. So the Mayan calendar was supposed to end, or it ended, December 21st, 2012. And there was lots of people out there that said, that is when the end of the world is going to happen. Ooh. <laughs> did it? Did that happen? Well, I don't think so, because we're recording <laughs> in 2021. Right, You know, right. nine years later. Okay. So I know it wasn't October, it was December, but it was still a crazy thing to think, and I remember we had someone call into the office and they were certain that this event was going to happen. They were talking about it with certainty. And they went on at great length about the certainty of this event. And the problem was that they had a bond that had recently matured and they needed to reinvest it. So what do you think they asked for, Greg? You tell me. Well, they asked for what are the bond yields? Like I want to reinvest my money in a new bond. And I went through the short-term bond yields with them. Because remember, they just told me that the world was going to end December 21st, 2012, right? right? right. So I went through the rates with them. They said, well, that's not good enough. The rates are too low. And I said, well, the only way you're going to get a higher rate is to go out longer than December 21st of 2012, to which they said, go for it. Now, this doesn't make sense. On one hand, they're telling me that the world is going to end. And then on the other hand, they want a bond that matures after the world ending to get a higher yield. Well, I guess maybe they were just hedging, just in case they were wrong, on the outside chance that the world didn't end on December 21st, 2012. Well, yeah. So did they really think that the world was going to end at their core? I know that that's an extreme event and it was December, not October, but right on. I thought it was a good story. It's excellent. And, and let's talk about, there's other scary things that have happened to investors in the past. Scary exactly. like that? Exactly like that. And we were thinking, talking about how a typical horror movie, usually there's some poor, unsuspecting individuals entering a situation fraught with risk and being totally aware of what's lurking ahead of them. But the audience knows, and they know something bad could happen. And sometimes the eerie music gives it away, as we've just heard. And sometimes the filmmaker fools us, and it actually doesn't unfold the way the audience expects. 
But the same thing can happen with investing. Like there is certain behaviors that can sometimes work out okay, but like a horror movie, often danger lurking in the shadows can take you down. Take, for example, there's a couple of ways that single stock investing can really be scary. So you're talking about like a concentrated position Absolutely. in one stock of one company. There's actually two kinds of risky single stock investments. So there's what I would call the speculative kind. Okay, so this would include like a flyer, like meme stocks. And I know we've talked about GameStop and AMC, but those kinds of things that basically you're investing strictly because you think the price of the stock will go up, not because it's tied to any fundamental sort of factors, like so not tied to company growth or earnings growth or earnings momentum or anything else. It's just a belief that this stock is going to go up in value because there's tons of interest in it. When I was thinking about Briex story again, we've talked about Briex in the past, but of course, this is something that's close to my heart because this all unfolded shortly after I started in this business. If anyone remembers back then, Briex ran up in value based on the belief that a tiny Calgary company had stumbled upon one of the largest gold deposits in the world in an area in Borneo, not previously known to have large gold discoveries. And that fervor gripped a lot of people. And actually, like a horror movies, you see a lot of horror movies taking place in small towns when somehow something gets into the drinking water or a cloud or a mist falls over the town and all of the townsfolk are affected. Like a Twilight Zone kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. There's a little town in Alberta called St. Paul. People might know that to be, I think, a little bit northwest of Edmonton. Well... The Briex fervor really caught that town. I believe there was a bank manager or someone in a respected position got on board Briex and encouraged a lot of the town folks to invest in Briex. And at one point, it was a town of millionaires. But unfortunately, as we all know, Briex turned out to be too good to be true. And I think one of the tip-offs was when the chief geologist jumped, fell, or was pushed out of a helicopter from 600 feet. Yeah, that would do it. And that was shortly after a significant, a major gold company was brought in to review the assay results to see if the gold find really was as good as they said. And of course, it turned out not to be. So this is the how to become a millionaire type of scenario? That, that's right. You yeah. start with like 10 million? Exactly. <laughs> so the whole town got on the bandwagon. It turned out not to work out very well. And some lucky people sold out before the truth came out. And of course, others didn't. So that's the speculative kind of investment. And then there's actually a risky type of single stock investor that's totally well-intentioned. So you might have somebody who either works for a company or just has some kind of knowledge of the company and they believe the company has got incredibly strong earnings and appears poised to do well in the future. And in some cases, you can get blinded or investors get blinded by things like a high dividend yield. And they end up concentrating their portfolio in that stock because no other stock that they look at has the same dividend yield and with such a high quality. And I think you've had experiences with that with clients in the past where they'll end up with a very concentrated position thinking that that could be their answer to all their problems with a high dividend yield. And and it can. This is that get rich versus lose everything scenario that sure. we talked about. Like sure. If you actually want to get rich in the stock market, you actually need to have concentrated positions and they need to work out. So yeah, the example that we've talked about in the past is I had somebody who referred a family member and they came in and wanted to talk about their investments to which they were invested in exactly one stock, to your point. They happened to work for the company. 
I won't name the company. It's a local oil and gas company. Paid a pretty healthy dividend. And when we suggested that they sell that share and diversify it, they said no, because the dividend is paying their mortgage payment. So, of course, what happened is the company stock price went down about 90%. The dividend got cut to basically zero. And and probably not because it was a bad company. No. So the reasons for going in and for feeling strongly, positively about the company in the first place didn't change, but the situation changed. In the oil and gas business, typically it's the commodity price goes down. Exactly. It had nothing to do, well, practically nothing to do with the management of the company. This was a $43 stock at the time that traded down to, I think, under a dollar at one point. That just highlights this, what we've talked about in the past, and that is concentration risk in a portfolio. And typically concentration risk, we've talked about behavioral biases in the past, but it's the overconfidence bias. It's this feeling that you know something maybe that either other people don't know or you're just incredibly confident in a company based on your maybe inside knowledge or something else. And it's just impossible to consider all the potential things that could go wrong. That's scary. And there is another scary situation, and it sounds a bit like the Briac story, but I'll say when investors get Madoffed, of course, I'm referring to the scam Ponzi scheme by Bernie Madoff in the U.S. that came to light back in the financial crisis time. Yeah. And basically... And it came to light because of a liquidity issue, right? That's right. Yeah. Because the world was going through liquidity crunch and people wanted their money. Isn't that what happened? And then there was no money to pay out. There's no money to pay out. And so why were people attracted to Madoff's investments in the first place? Well, it seemed to be a bit of a prestige thing. Oh, I'm investing with Madoff and everybody wanted to get on board. And one of the things that was part of the story was that his funds basically provided returns of 1% per month forever, for years. Statistically impossible. Exactly. There was no down months. And it just kept cranking out 12% a year, 1% a month. And of course, he was fudging the statements and things like that. And there were people that did identify the the fact that it couldn't possibly be true. There were some people that had an early call on whether or not that was a scam. But I guess what I'm talking about is people willing to suspend their own judgment in favor of wanting to believe there's nothing wrong, nothing unusual about the situation. And so like the unsuspecting people in the horror movies, when you suspend your own judgment, it can cause problems. So if people sat down and said, okay, well, really, what are the odds that this tiny Calgary-based gold company found one of the largest gold reserves in the world? What are the odds that somebody has found a way to structure investments to get 1% per month, every month with no drawdowns, no bad months, regardless of how many downturns there may have been in the stock market? And so if you suspend your own judgment, then there's a risk there. And that can often happen when you're talking about concentrated stock portfolios. But let's, let's not just talk about the stock markets because there are some very scary things that can happen related to planning. And we've talked a lot about planning in these podcasts, both financial planning, and we started a mini series on estate planning. I just want to recall a scary estate issue that I was aware of with one of my clients. And basically what happened is this client had a will in which he named his children from his first marriage as beneficiaries of his non-registered account. Okay, so he had, obviously, like many people, he had a RIF, and we didn't have tax-free savings accounts back then, but he had a RIF and other accounts. But he had a non-registered account, and again, the children from his first marriage were named as beneficiaries. The client, unfortunately, developed cancer, 
And when he was presented with that diagnosis, he panicked and decided to put his non-registered investments into a joint account with his wife, a second wife. And he did that because for estate planning purposes, he didn't want to have those assets go through probate or what have you. Anyway, on his passing, the wife immediately claimed the assets because they were in joint name, and that's basically what a joint account allows you to do. When one of the joint holders passes away, the assets pass to the other joint holder. So the wife essentially had the assets, and the children were entitled to those assets under the will. How'd that work out? Well, I don't think it worked out well because there was some acrimony between all of the parties. And the acrimony was, in the end, it should have been unnecessary, but these are anxious times and stressful times and things get heated. And I believe, and in fact, there was subsequent to this particular issue, I believe the federal government or the Supreme Court has even ruled that the will takes precedent over estate planning, things like naming joint holders of assets and things like that. But the point is that it was something that he had originally planned and properly executed in the will and then made a decision to do something that was not consistent with the will. And it just means you really have to pay attention because then you cause problems for beneficiaries and at a very stressful time in their lives. What about another scary thing that's outside of that? uh, Some other scary things would just be retiring, for example, without a plan at all. We had our retirement mini-series, which focused a lot on planning for retirement, not just financially, but lifestyle-wise. But retiring without a plan, a lot of people believe that they've got a number in mind. Well, I need X amount of dollars, and then I'll be fine. And what happens is when you proceed on that basis without a plan, you can miss things. You can ignore items such as inflation. I mean, most people tend to downplay the effect of inflation over time. They say, oh, inflation, 2% a year, whatever. Or five. Or five as it is right now. (laughs) But when you spread that out over a 25 or 30 year period, it's a lot bigger number than you would have expected. They also might underestimate housing expenses, medical expenses, possibly the need for long-term care. And not only that, they fail to sometimes account for the variability, the potential variability of investment returns. A lot of people build plans saying, well, okay, I just need 5% on my money and I'm good. I'll have income for life. Well, as we know, you don't always get 5%. You might do better some years, but you might do incredibly badly other years where you're down 35%. And those investment returns are not guaranteed. And so you need to look at, well, what are reasonable rates of return and what happens if you don't meet those expected returns? So those are other things that, again, they could be scary if you find yourself in retirement and all of a sudden you feel your financial resources are not what you thought they were. Well, and actually, if you hadn't done the planning and you're just picking a stock return to focus on, I've seen people like that over the years, as if you, who they say, well, I need 12% a year or some number. It's like, well, where did you get the number from? They say, well, that's just the number I thought that I needed. But when you do a plan, they might actually need 0% return based on their asset base. And if they're trying to get 12%, they're trying to get above stock market average returns. Exactly. So they're taking way more risk than they need to, which sounds a little scary, Greg. That is scary. (laughs) Speaking of scary, one spooky thing happened to my family. My son, who's just turning 18, was due on October 31st, back in 2003. 
Wow. That's scary for all kinds of reasons to, number one, look back and say, wow, 18 years, that's gone by pretty quick. That is, yeah, that is a bit scary. And he's an adult, which is scary. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> anyways, that's just a personal thing. But but before we leave that, my question is this. On October 31st of 2003, were you getting everything ready to head to the hospital or were you handing out candy to trick-or-treaters coming to your door? Oh, we weren't going anywhere. That's a tough choice. Yeah, no, it was... <laughs> He stayed in there an extra week, so okay. uh, yeah, we handed out candy. Excellent. Anyways, what can investors do about the October effect? What can they do about all these scary things? Well, I don't know, nothing because it's already over. October's gone. So what can you do going forward is how it should be restated. And when we talk about future Octobers and future scary times, and we've mentioned this before many times, I think it probably starts with planning, Greg. It does. If you have a plan, there's people feel a sense of lack of control when there's no plan because you're in a situation where things just happen to you. Events happen. There's been no preparation, no thought to given to what if this happens and how will we react? And so it's scary. Very scary. So have a plan. That plan is going to dictate how much risk you actually need in your investments, which is going to determine your asset allocation level. Diversify your security. So Greg, are we recommending concentrated stock portfolios? Absolutely, we're not. No, I mean, because you're taking on way more risk than you probably need to. Reduce your fees and expenses as much as possible. And other than that, yeah, you should just hand out candy on Halloween and not worry about the stock market on that day. Exactly. Or any other day for that matter. Or any other day. Because even if the market, even if you got up tomorrow and the market was down, pick a number, 10% tomorrow, are you going to do something about it tomorrow? Well, likely not, unless you're going to start lining up to buy stocks with some of those other assets that are doing better. So a rebalancing trade. Exactly. But I don't know, nothing is going to happen that's going to probably cause you to make any panic decision based on an event tomorrow. Part of it is being aware that, of course, it can happen. It can happen anytime. It very often will happen without any prior warning, or it'll happen so slowly that you don't realize it's happening until you're well into it already. It's like gaining weight. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Of which I have much experience with. Yeah, you look at yourself in the mirror every day. You don't notice uh, that extra quarter of a pound (laughs) per day. If only it were a quarter. (laughs) But no, I think it's one of those things that by doing those things we talked about, these events, we know they're going to happen and we're prepared for them and we'll deal with them as we've planned. Right on. Excellent. Well, so much for Halloween and October and let's move on. Move on. That's right. So thanks for joining us today. Remember to rate our podcast if you happen to be on a service that allows you to do that. And if you have anything that you want us to talk about in future episodes, please let us know. Until next time then. All right, next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy.
This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2021.